Bibles with you can turn with us to the book of Colossians this morning. Oh. Look at Colossians. He's also turning toward the end of motion. We are coming to this section in Colossians where the Apostle Paul was giving instructions to Christian households. He's going to give instructions to wives, to husbands, uh, to children, to parents. Even slaves and masters. Uh, but this morning we're going to look mainly at what he says to wives. Uh, husbands, I don't mean you can just go to sleep here. Um, we're going to talk to you a little bit too, but, but this morning we're going to focus mainly on what the apostle says to wives. So, God's Word, Colossians 3, verse 18 and 19. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that you would challenge us with it this morning and help us to think about how we live. And I pray for uh, much grace to communicate what your word teaches and that you would give us grace to hear it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, wives submit to your husbands in the Lord, a rather sensitive subject, I would guess. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know that I have an earpiece in, and Beth Moore is going to walk me through this. Um, <laughs> you know, on, on occasion, I'll have the opportunity to, to do weddings, and that's always an honor. But a, a wedding crowd is always an interesting crowd because it's very often a mix, uh, a large mix of believers and unbelievers. Uh, people who are very committed to saying, hey, whatever the Bible says, that's what I want to do. And people who say, well, the Bible does say that, well, that's crazy, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and so when I'm giving a wedding message, I'll often touch on this subject of wives submitting to their husbands. And uh, you get different reactions to that. That doesn't always go over very well. Uh, I've never had anybody kind of come up to me after a wedding and get my face about it. Uh, but you can see kind of the look on people's faces like, this is crazy stuff. Uh, and and I, was, I was told once that at the after party that night, um, late in the morning, uh, that this became much the topic of conversation and that I was not a very popular person um, uh, at that party. So, so let's just say uh, that this can be a difficult issue to talk about. I understand that. I understand that people have disagreements about it, and I understand that especially if you haven't really grown up in the church, uh, or if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, that <clears throat> just reading this sounds, you're like, oh my goodness, um, what century are these people from? Uh, it, can, it can sound kind of crazy, uh, and I think the church certainly needs to acknowledge that what is said here has been uh, abused uh, by husbands. So what I want us to do this morning is to try to think about what this means and what it doesn't mean. All right, what it means and what it doesn't mean. But, but before we do that, I feel like I need to lay a little bit of groundwork and establish a couple of things that you may or may not take for granted, but this will kind of tell you where I'm coming from on, from on this. Here's point number one, laying the groundwork. Um, men and women are different. All right, write that down. You know, you're like, man, I'm glad Justin is profound. Um, 
Now, I never would have thought of that on my own. Uh, but men and women are different. Now, I mean, why do I say that? I say that because more and more our culture seems bent on suppressing inter- any gender differences between men and women. Um, but even as that's happening, even as we try to say, oh, we're, we're all basically the same, we all know that's not true. You, you know that's not true. We're, we're fundamentally different. Now, I want to give you just a few examples I found, not, and these are not original with me. They're off of the internet from somewhere. Um, a few examples I found of how men and women are different. All right, number one, women mature much faster than men. Most 17-year-old females can function as adults. Most 17-year-old males are still trading baseball cards and giving each other wedgies after gym class. Uh, This is why high school romances rarely work. Uh, Number two, to their credit, men do not decorate their penmanship. They just chicken scratch. Women use scented colored stationery and they dot their eyes with circles and hearts. Women use ridiculously large loops in their P's and G's. It is a royal pain to read a note from a woman. Even when she's dumping you, she'll put a smiley face at the end of the note. All right. Uh, Number three, a woman makes a list of things she needs and then goes to the store and buys these things. A man waits till the only items left in the refrigerator are half a lemon and something turning green. Then he goes grocery shopping. He buys everything that looks good. Right, men, you know this is true. Uh, and then finally, a woman knows all about her children. She knows about dentist appointments and soccer games and romances and best friends and favorite foods and secret fears and hopes and dreams. A man is vaguely aware of some short people living in the house. <laughs> now, uh, that's all in fun, but, but uh, it's true that men and women experience the world in different ways. We communicate in different ways. Uh, we have different strengths and weaknesses. Well, that's because God created two different genders who were actually made to complement each other in their strengths and in their weaknesses. Uh, in marriage, the idea is that uh, two different genders become one and they complete each other in a, in a deep friendship, a deep oneness between a man uh, and a woman. Uh, you're able to do that uh, because you're different. Because of how God has designed you, that's actually a good thing. Now, think about this, and, and I'm going to do, use several basketball analogies. So, analogies, sorry, Keith, um, but I'm not going to name anybody. Um, but but a, a, a basketball team. Think about a basketball team that has four six foot two point guards. What do they not need? They don't need another six two guard. They need a seven foot center to complete that team and to make that team uh, work right uh, because they're going to approach the game in fundamentally different ways they're going to think about the game in different ways and what needs to be done in different ways but they're both going to have the same objective which is to get the ball in the basket and win the game they're just going to go at it differently they're designed differently but that's good because they're designed differently they can actually work together to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish uh, men and women are different. Uh, but because of that, uh, we complement each other uh, and work together towards this goal of glorifying God. Uh, it enables us to come together and to complete one another in marriage. Uh, Genesis 2.18 says, 
uh, about Adam, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now, this is actually the first time in the Bible that God says that anything isn't good. He says it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. So God creates Eve, and he brings her to him, and notice what, this is Adam's reaction, Genesis 2.23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, uh, the Hebrew is, is something more like Adam going, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, that yeah okay right now now this is this is what needs to happen here all right Adam is, is excited about this you're different from me but you're me uh, you're different from me but you're me we fit uh, and notice Adam doesn't say well hey helper I'm glad you're here would you go name something for me I'm really tired of naming all animals uh, would you take that off my plate no he's he's jumping up and down excited. Because God has brought somebody finally that completes him uh, in every way. Um, it does use the phrase that she is his helper. And I think we get kind of hung up on that because we hear helper and we think oh, it's, like, it's like daddy's little helper. It's like go get me the wrench, help me work on the car. Um, the Bible uses this word helper. Uh, it's actually used to describe God and how he helps uh, the nation of Israel. And so the fact that Adam needs a helper doesn't imply in any way that Eve is inferior to Adam. Instead, it shows that Adam can't do the job by himself and that God has provided someone, that that God didn't intend for him to do the job by himself. In fact, Adam needs to be helped. And so God provides Eve. Uh, Genesis 1, 27 and 28 So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so the idea here isn't, well, here's Adam, here's man, superior and woman, inferior, but here's man and woman as king and queen, uh, ruling over God's creation. So, number one, foundationally, men and women are different. But I'm trying to say something more than that. Men and women are different because uh, God made them that way so that they can complement one another as they rule and subdue God's creation. Now, number two, uh, because men and women are different, they therefore have different roles within marriage. Now let's, let's think about the basketball analogy again. Um, the 6-2 point guard doesn't need to try to do what the 7-foot center is designed to do. And the 7-foot center doesn't need to do what the 6-2 point guard is designed to do. This is why Shaquille O'Neal doesn't bring the basketball up the court normally. That's not what he's there for. Our, think about the band even. All right, you do what you're gifted to do. If, if all of our music people switch places, all right, and maybe Keith could do everything. But, but the rest of them, if I just said, okay, Susan, you're playing the violin today, we're like, yes, yeah, rock on. Um, you know, that, that's just not going to work. You've got you to do what you're actually designed to do. 
men and women are designed with different roles in marriage. Now, uh, the Bible defines these roles less specifically than some of us might like, and more specifically than others of us might like. Uh, the Bible doesn't say the man must cut the grass and the woman must sew, or you know the woman cooks and the man takes out the trash, or flip that around. It, it doesn't get into that kind of specifics, but it does say something. Now, uh, I'm going to speak real broadly, because if I got real specific, then everybody would get really mad, so I'm just going to be real broad and just get kind of mad. Uh, now, I, wanna, I think the Bible is very broad about this, so I want to I speak broadly about it. Um, the Scripture, at times implicitly, and at other times explicitly, um, tells us that it, within marriage, the husband is to be uh, the leader in the marriage. Uh, and we'll get into more of what all that means for the husband next week. Uh, but for the wife, what that means is that she's actually called to submit to her husband's leadership. She's called to submit to her husband. Now, what does that mean, though? What does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? Well, let me say a few things about that. Number one, uh, this is a call for one woman to submit to one man. It's not a call for all women to submit to all men. Uh, number two, saying that a wife is to submit to her husband says nothing about her value as a person. Uh, and I think we, we have a hard time understanding that, but it says nothing about her value as a person. A person. Submission does not imply that the wife is inferior. <clears throat> if it did, then we got problems with the Trinity. Uh, because in 1 Corinthians 11, we're told that Jesus Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father. Now, one God, three persons, equal in power and glory. Jesus is all-powerful, all-knowing, um, equal in every way with the Father, yet he submitted himself to the will of his Father. That doesn't mean he's inferior. Uh, number three, submission doesn't mean that a wife has to offer her husband unconditional obedience. Uh, you know, if the husband is leading you to do something that's not pleasing to the Lord, then it's actually your responsibility not to do that. Uh, number four, uh, submission doesn't mean that a wife is to uh, suppress all of her creative energy uh, and that she never makes any decisions without consulting her husband. Um, you know, think about the, the Proverbs 31 woman. She considers a field and buys it. Uh, now, I'm not suggesting, you know, women that you go buy 40 acres without talking to your husband about it. Uh, or a place at Myrtle Beach without, hey, you think that's a good idea? Um, but, but you see in this that the wife certainly isn't just sitting in the corner kind of going, all right, tell me what to do. Um, so that's not what submission is either. Uh, number five, and I've only got 32 of these, so. <laughs> that would be, you read a really old period in sermon, like, oh my goodness, they're on point 50. Uh, number five, submission doesn't mean that you have to sit and take physical or verbal uh, abuse from a husband. That's not the intent of this text. And if you're in that situation, you don't have to stay there and come talk to me about that. We'll get you out of it. Uh, number six, <clears throat> submission doesn't mean that a wife just sits quietly until her husband says jump and she says how high. Um, 
wives, and, and I say some of you aren't going to need this encouragement, but, but some of you might. Sometimes you need to argue with your husband. Okay, and the husbands are going, oh, don't say that. <laughs> because he's wrong sometimes. A lot of times, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I'm wrong a lot. And, and sometimes you can help him to see that. All right, and the husbands, you need to listen to your wives and hear what they're saying to you. Now, that's, that's all I'm saying. That, that's what submission isn't. All right, that's what submission, submission isn't. What is it? Uh, submission means that the husband is actually called to be the leader uh, in the family uh, and in the home. Now, a husband can do this in a right way or in a wrong way, but he's in a position of inescapable leadership. So the way that he does this is going to set the tone for the home whether he tries to do it or doesn't try to do it. Now, for example, if you're never home, that's exercising leadership just in a bad way. If you're never paying attention to your family, you're actually exercising leadership just in a bad way. And the way you do that is going to affect your wife and your children and your family for good or for bad. Uh, God's called the husband to lead. Now, we actually should be glad that he's called somebody to lead. Uh, because as, <clears throat> as R.C. Sproul says in his book, The Intimate Marriage, there's really no such thing as a 50-50 marriage. All right? Imagine that your uh, five-year-old has... <clears throat> your five-year-old wants to, I don't know what they want to do, they want to join the t-ball team or the orchestra or whatever, and the husband's like, man, they really need to do this, he needs to learn these skills, uh, it'll be good for his development, and the wife's going, we're stretched too thin already, we don't have enough family time, and you both just kind of have different opinions about it. Well, what do you do? All right, and, and if you say, well, let the five-year-old decide, then I'm, then, then I'm going to hit you. Like, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, you don't just let the kid decide. You've got to leave. Um, and God said, all right, husband, the buck stops with you. And you've got to make that decision. When you can't reach a consensus, and you do need to work to find a consensus, but when you can't reach a consensus, the husband's called to make that call. Uh, that's their job. But husbands, before you get too excited about that, uh, remember what that means is the responsibility for that decision is in your court. That the buck really does stop with you. And when you made that decision, you've got to own that decision. Uh, and, you know, if you're having this discussion with your wife and you finally say, okay, we'll do it your way. You can't come back later to your wife and say, when it doesn't work out, you can't say, well, this is your idea. Uh, if we had done it my way, this wouldn't happen. No. When you said we're going to do it your way, you owned that decision. And that became yours right then. And you have to take responsibility for how that falls out. And then wives, you're called to submit to that decision, whether you like it or not. Uh, the scripture calls us to you submit to your husband in that decision. Now, um, tied up with this, ladies, is this issue of respecting your husband. Uh, and this is you would find this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Uh, we're told, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, uh, Ephesians 5 is an interesting passage uh, because 
it, it seems that Paul is kind of pointing at the things husbands need to be reminded of in particular and that wives need to be reminded of in particular. And he says, husbands, you need to love your wives. Because you're going to forget to do that and not do that well. And wives, you need to respect your husbands because you're going to forget to do that and not do that well. Because it's very possible for wives to be very loving uh, to their husbands. And yet, when they get on the phone with their friends or with their mom or whoever, they start running their husbands down. Even while at the same time they're trying to be very loving to them, they don't express respect for them. And what that means, uh, if ladies, if you're not married, what that means is don't marry somebody you don't respect. Don't marry somebody that you don't respect. Uh, they may be handsome, they may be funny, they may be rich, uh, they may seem like, and they, they, they seem like they love the Lord. If you don't respect them, you can't marry them. Uh, don't marry somebody you can't respect and, and somebody you don't feel like you can follow their leadership. Uh, now you may say, well I'm already married and I don't respect my husband. Um, well, let's talk about that. Because that's a, that's a whole bigger conversation than just what I can say here. Part of that is um, you have to show respect uh, and pray for them. Uh, but, but there's more to it than that. But, but that's all I'll say for now. Number three. Uh, third thing I think we need to say about submission uh, is that it's a heart thing. And it's not meant to be grudging. Okay, he said you're supposed to be the leader. And I mean, whatever you say, I'll go along with this. Uh, it's supposed to come from your heart. Uh, now, we've laid the groundwork. The women are different. They're complementary. Uh, we've talked about what submission isn't. And I'm not going to go through all six of those again. Uh, we've talked a little bit about what it is. Uh, but now I want to talk about a minute for a minute why it's difficult. Right, why it's difficult. I think one of the reasons it's difficult is because we misunderstand what it actually is. And it's been sort of caricatured, and so we're uh, afraid of it. It's not this calling for the husband to be this tyrant and the wife to just do whatever he says, but it's a call for servant leadership from the husband. Um, the second reason it's difficult, I asked, I asked Susan this one time, I was like, what's, what's difficult about this, uh, about being submissive, and she said, sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> um, and that's true. That, um, wives, often your husband is just, he's just going to be wrong. And there's, there's no getting around that, and you're still called to follow him. Um, even even in, in the thing that husbands could be most wrong about, um, Listen to what First Peter tells us. Uh, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see you respectful and pure conduct. All right, they're wrong about the most important thing. They're not believers. And yet you're still to be submissive to them and respectful to them. And it's not like this magic formula that if you do this well enough uh, that they'll get converted, but there's this hope held out. It's like, look, you, you live as God has called you to live. You pray for them uh, and, and, and wait on the Lord. 
And then the third reason this is difficult, and this is just kind of for all of us. Why is any kind of submission difficult? Submission difficult. Because we all want to be in control. Alright? All of us, you all have control issues. Just get over it. Uh, we, we all have control issues. And we are all, always thinking, if I was in charge, we wouldn't be in this mess. Uh, and so, um, that's one of the reasons it's difficult. Now, I want to wrap up with this. Um, how can we make this go down easier, perhaps? Um, um, how can we see the good in it? <coughs> um, number one, and I'll just give three of these. Um, wives, what you have to do in this is that as you're kind of wrestling through this, one of the things God is calling you to do is for you to give up control to Him, uh, to God, and to actually trust Him. You know, you read this scripture and you go, it's what the Bible says. There's not really no way to explain this away. Um, and it is hard. Um, if the roles were reversed, it would be hard for me. Um, but I've got to acknowledge here that there's a higher authority than me. Uh, one who designed me, one who made me. The one who built the plane knows how to fly the plane. Uh, and so I'm going to submit to what he says. I'm going to trust God in this. You know, this is not easy for me to do. Uh, husbands. We're going to talk about you more next time. Um, you're called to be more than just a leader. You're called to be a servant leader. Uh, you're actually called uh, to die for your wife. You're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Christ loved the church by dying for the church. And that means you've got to put her before yourself. And to put her needs before your own needs. Uh, to put spending time with her ahead of hunting and golfing and, and whatever it is that you want to go do. You've got to love her as Christ loved the church. Every day, husbands, you're, you are a living demonstration, or you're meant to be a living demonstration of the way Jesus treats his bride. Are you a living demonstration of the way Jesus treats his bride. And wives, wouldn't that be, wouldn't the first part of this go down a lot smoother? Submit to your husband if you realize that the husband that you're trying to submit to you is at the same time trying to die for you. Because he loves you so much. Number three, and this is the final thing, uh, wives, you have to remember that the one who calls you to this is your Savior. It's the same Savior who gave up his life. You're like, man, this feels like giving up my life. Jesus gave up his life for you. Uh, even when your husband's not doing a good job of this servant leadership thing, serving you and loving you, you have to remember back to Christ that Jesus gave up his life for you, that he's for you, that he submitted himself to the will of the Father. And you can trust uh, that he's not going to call you to do something that's not for your good for his glory as well. Well, this is a lot of info to think about today. Uh, men and women are different. Uh, we're different because God made us differently. He's given us different roles in marriage. The husband's called to love his wife. The wife is called to submit to the servant leadership of her husband. And that takes a lot of grace and a lot of prayer 
and a continual focus uh, on Jesus Christ. We pray for us.